today we are reviewing Cold Case Files Season 4, Episode 25, Kidnapped. This is another case that is close to home and is truly heartbreaking. The details are winding and there's a lot to cover from a missing boy to multiple ransom notes, a sting operation gone bad, robberies, murder, and the eventual arrest of the person responsible for taking a young boy's life. Sit with us as we delve into the docuseries and wind through this convoluted case. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and we are Crime TV. October 13th, 1991, Chad Choice is taken from his North Tyler childhood bedroom and poof, gone. There's no sign of him. And nobody knows what happened. A strange abduction. No trace. No force entry. It's very typical of a child abduction. But my theory is that child abductors would t- typically take children from public areas that are kind of a common ground. Like supermarkets or department stores or a park. I feel like... My first thought was that this person has to be in the family or close to the family to feel comfortable enough to go into somebody's home without leaving a trace that you were there and taking a child. Yeah, also the fact that they specifically said that Chad Choice didn't yell or make any noise or anything. I I could see that leading them to believe it was someone he knew. Yeah. Right off the bat. Well, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you a question since you have seen Cold Case File episodes before and I have not. Naturally. Yes. Thank you for introducing me to the true crime world. You're welcome. I thought the beginning of this episode was chaotic. I mean, they are throwing like random info at us first off the bat and they're way, way over dramatizing it. The mom is speaking, and then it goes to the blue static as she says something dramatic, and they, like, slow down the audio. Is it always that dramatic? Yeah, this is just memory, but all of the crime shows have that same kind of dramatization or real dramatic effects in the early 2000s. If you look at Cold Case Files, Forensic Files, they all have that type of effects to them. Okay. And for... A episode of TV, especially with Forensic Files, where it's only 20 minutes of actual footage, and a cold case file where it's 45 minutes, roughly, of actual TV time, you probably have to do that to really hook your person in. Okay. Well, I think, too, as someone coming into the true crime world new this year, 2021, Mm -hmm. not even 2020. um, It was late 2020. Was it? Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. I think uh, we work in a institution that allows us to be off for two weeks for Christmas. And I think I put uh, you on a true crime, giving you some Christmas break binge watch. You're right. You're right. Well, anyway, not why we're here. Right. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I think as someone who's newer to true crime and watching a lot of these newer documentaries that aren't typically overly dramatized like that. Mm-hmm. 
I think I've just seen a different side of true crime, so then to go back and watch some of these Forensic Files, Cold Case Files episodes, it's just not my cup of tea. Oh, cheesy. We always use that. So cheesy. But I'll have to get you on. I think FilmRise has Dr. G's Medical Examiner, which if you are into true crime, it's an oldie but a goodie. It's a medical examiner and she talks about autopsies. Oh, I'd probably really like that. Yeah. It's, it's real good. But I'll I'll send you an episode or two for you to watch. And you'll understand early 2000s, mid-2000s forensic documentaries. And- okay, because I think we've talked about this among just amongst ourselves, too. That, like, the true crime genre is kind of shying away from that overly dramatic, lay-on-thick lay entertainment side. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen as much of that. I was wondering if that was normal for Cold Case Files and when this aired. Yep. But yes, okay, that that makes sense. There was a part where they showed the ransom note and they they did like parts of the ransom note. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, this is a little bit shorter episode, so I know they have to be mindful about what they choose to put in. Right. But they didn't go over the whole ransom note and what all was in there. Mm -hmm. And I kind of didn't like that because I wanted to know like was... Was there a bunch of fluff or useless crap in the ransom note that wasn't actually important? Or were there parts of the ransom note that we didn't get to see that might have been relevant? Well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Especially that ransom note that was found on Chad's mother's car while she was at work. I watched this episode probably two or three times. And this is the third time is whenever I caught on to this. But there were some grammatical errors in this ransom note and it made me think back on the John Bonet ransom note there were words in this ransom note that are common words cannot that were misspelled and misspelled in ways that don't make sense so I wonder if this is the case like in John Bonet where the investigators think that they try to dumb down the ransom note to make it shy away from whoever actually wrote it a well-educated person would not misspell cannot. Interesting. I didn't even think of that. A poorly educated person would misspell common words or have poor grammar in general. Well, another thing that stood out to me about the notes, they were written on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 90s. And I don't think typewriters were very popular in the 90s i think we were moving away from typewriters were well, we not okay so early 2000s my grandmother she kept a typewriter in this little dust bag in the spare bedroom and she would set me up at the dining room table with a sheet of paper and i would just bing, 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 like i was fucking nancy drew or some shit um just writing my novels telling all my stories and of course that was Probably 99, 2000, 2001, somewhere right in there. And so it's very possible that whoever wrote that ransom note just had a grandma like mine or even a mother like mine that there was a typewriter. That's a good way to disguise your handwriting, which leads me to believe that that ransom note was intentionally dumbed down to seem less educated. Well, that's true. I guess a typed note would not be identifiable correct especially on a typewriter so they have some type of enough of a awareness about investigation 
that they would not use their own handwriting to write this ransom note. See, my mind went in a completely different place with this. You put a lot of more thought into that because my mind was like, they's a typewriter, so go in all the family's house and see who's got a typewriter because who has those in the 90s? Meanwhile, I'm over here figuring out who did it based off of a ransom note. You you and your 3,000. <laughs> I'm over here in 2001. You and here in 3,000. Yeah, because Jonas Brothers and stuff. Love the Joe Bros. Don't we all? I literally have a poster in my bedroom still. As a 26-year-old woman, I have a Jonas Brothers poster. Not ashamed of it either. It's a Rolling Stones. It's a classic. So, very few child abductors, when they take these children, they don't let them live very long, as morbid as that is. Whenever you abduct a child, it's because you have other plans for them. It's not like having a new friend over. And you feed them and you take care of them and you love them. It's because you have much, much darker plans for them than outside of that abduction. And I think Karen Choice, Chad's mother, knew that throughout this investigation. She constantly said, I know the chances are slim. I know what probably happened to my baby. But then to have a skull mailed to you and it is very likely your own child, that... That hurts me for her. That, yeah, that's that's a heartbreaking situation. Because you hold out hope. You can be realistic, but you also hold out hope that your eight-year-old son is going to come home. Yeah. And then to just one day as you're going about your normal life, his skull ends up delivered to you via USPS. I'm 100% not okay with that. Does USPS not do checks? Those kinds of things? Who is letting skulls get through the mail? Are we not intercepting that? We're not questioning those things? Well, I will say, and this is just random knowledge that I have. You have so much random knowledge. I love it. that post 9-11, they really started using, I guess you could say like x-rays to penetrate through those packages to see what they were. So pre-9-11, when this case happened, I believe this was October 13th, 1991. So 10 years before 9-11, they did it have that male security type of thing or not as heavily so a human skull may not feel like a human skull through the bag that's if you touched it like they would probably have to open up that package and view what was inside to be able to detect that it was a human remain item true so my question is from the first ransom note, there was a there was an ask for money, mm-hmm. and the family went there with to to the Greyhound station mm-hmm. that I learned existed in Tyler through this documentary. Just off the square. Yeah, now I know they they were there, and the person never showed up, and that still kind of blows my mind, like why they didn't show up. I I mean I think they didn't show up because there were police there. But how did they know? Okay. Let me give you a theory. So at this point, I think Chad Choice had already been murdered. I think they dusted it off and the criminals moved past it. Later in the in the episode, we see one of the former FBI agents talk about how they believe the murderer did this for notoriety's sake. And I think that that attempt at the Greyhound station was an attempt at notoriety. Trying to get the buzz out there that... Ooh, there's this big bad 
monster crawling around the streets of Tyler and he's agreed to do a ransom drop in exchange. But it was just to, to get into the minds of this family and the investigators to, I guess, to have that monster persona amplified. That's my theory. Just a theory. Interesting theory. I, I mean, I guess we'll really never know, but no. I did wonder that when I was watching. This wasn't in the show, but I did wonder why this family was targeted. I I kind of wished, despite the fact that I'm usually the one like dragging it, mm-hmm. I kind of wish I had some context set up here to know why this might have occurred to this family in particular. Because we know it wasn't really random. We will discuss that whenever we get to who the killer is. Okay. And we can come back to it. So, the two bank robberies happen, and then after the second one, an off-duty police officer sees his neighbor and his neighbor's friend walking down the street, kind of acting like they have somebody watching behind them, following them, and they match the description. And he, he has enough intuition that he's, yeah, might should call this one in. So, if you're going to commit a crime, don't wear the... Sh- clothes that you wore to the robbery to go home where you live next door to a police officer. Yep. Because you know what? Shit gets real after that. Not a great move. Really not a great move. So the robbers robber, that's such a hard word to say. You know on TikTok where they're having that trend right now it's like, southerners cannot say rural rural not urban but rural that's a hard word. I'm not even going to try. So, burglars is another word. Burglary. Burglar. And robbers. Burglar. I got Bur- my mouth. Hold on. Burglar. Damn it. Yeah, it Bur- hurts. Fine. Rural burglary robbers. So, the robbers end up being Chris Wells, Gene Lindsay, and Pat Horn. So, Gene Lindsay obviously confesses to the bank robbery and tells police about a separate crime. So, he knows he's about to go down for the bank robbery, but he's got some dirt on somebody else, and you're going to let us send my sentence because of it. Which, questionable character, but he's playing his cards right with the cards that he's been dealt. Okay. One thing about this. Okay. This is, I have a note on this, guys. I actually have a note written down. Holy shit, this must be good. Right? Okay, they have built up this narrative about these robberies, and... Up until this point, not really said why it's relevant to the Chad Choice case. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then we go to an ad break. Ah. And when we come back from said ad break, the narrator straight up says the connection comes out in small steps and then goes back to where the show left off. And I'm like, why? Why take all the suspense out like that? They have been trying so hard with all these overdramatic tropes straight from the beginning. And then when the show is naturally building up some suspense and drama, they ruin it. Poor show choice. I'm sorry to all the Cold Case Files fans, but I feel that that was a poor choice. I will attack her for each and every one of us. I'll jump across this daybed at you. I'm just saying. So, back to Gene Lindsay and his confession. This is your question of the day. 
Do you think Jane Lindsay confessed to the robbery and presented the information about Lavasser? Do you think that Jane Lindsay confessed to the bank robberies and told the police about the J.C. Lavasser case because it was guilt-driven or was he just trying to get a lighter sentence for himself? I, I think maybe both. I think a little bit of both, probably. And, and that was another thing that I, I struggled with, and maybe I should wait to bring this up. But we have these two people that have committed these two robberies. Mm-hmm. They name and call out this third person who then becomes involved and gets arrested with them as part of this whole deal. And to be honest, the amount of detail and investigative evidence that this show goes into regarding these three men and the robberies and the third crime that we are about to get into seemed excessive compared to what we know about the actual Chad Choice case. Right. And I understand that this is all relevant and leads up to the the ending of the documentary. But I felt like there was a lot of time spent on these robberies and these two guys when at the end, spoiler alert, it all kind of became irrelevant. Not irrelevant. I, I'm sorry, that's that was a bad word to choose. It didn't become irrelevant, but we didn't need that much detail about Gene Lindsay and Chris person and the first robbery because like in the end... They could have summarized that in like two seconds and spent more time talking about their investigation that they did for the Chad Choice case directly. Devil's advocate time. So let me hear it. This resolving Chad Choice's disappearance and obviously his murder was a big butterfly effect. Sometimes in cold case files, we have a forensic break, a DNA. Things of that nature were a little bit more straightforward. With this one, we kind of took a curvy path to get us to the final answer. There wasn't DNA that they could really test. There wasn't forensics because they had no body. He was just in his home and then poof, he was gone. Disappeared without a trace. It was the the robbery, the murder of J.C. Lavasser, And then everything that happened after that, that led to us having a conclusion for Chad Choice having answers for his family and while it's frustrating to sit through that whenever you just want your answers that was part of getting answers for it yeah I I know it was part of the path and I know we had to go through those steps to get there I don't know I just it just was like there was just so much detail for those three other crimes I felt like it took away attention from the fact that this episode is about a missing boy. I, I don't know. And that's just, that's a personal opinion. Like, it's not, it's not even necessarily a criticism. Mm-hmm. It's just... Preference? Yeah, probably, I guess, preference. But, so. Wells, Lindsay, and Horn all got capital murder charges for the J.C. Lavasser murder. Going to have either the death penalty or a life sentence in this case. Both of which lead to a life not outside of jail. You know, he cuts a deal and he wants to bring up Chad Choice. That piques investigators' interest. 
they lived in the same neighborhood. They were friends, growing up family friends. And I have, we kind of talked about this just briefly in the last episode. But I'm getting to the age now where some of like my maternal instincts are kicking in. And I think some women, they just have this motherly presence to them. Like you do not give off motherly presence. Thank but I goodness. do. <laughs> but I feel like I give off motherly presence. Yeah, you definitely do. I, I'm warm and snuggly and everyone's just, they feel comfort around me. Yeah. You got a lot of chaotic energy out of you. <laughs> that is your aura. <laughs> chaotic energy is my aura? Yes. I'll take it. Okay. One of the next scenes, right before we start talking about the Jay Lavasser part, you just brought him up. So it's, this is a good time to get into it. The timestamp and location stamp they give says Smith County, Texas. Now, yes. if you are not from this area, this is a very misleading title for you because it lists Smith County, Texas, and you're like, ah, oh, okay, this Jay Lavasser is coming into play in Smith County, and we've been in Tyler. All right. For all of you that aren't from Texas, don't know anything about Tyler or Smith County, let me, let me clear it up for you. Tyler is in Smith County. Tyler is the county seat. We, Smith County. We have not left. Such a nitpicky, stupid thing. I'm not even from Texas. So this is really stupid and nitpicky of me. But Tyler, Texas is in Smith County. We have not gone anywhere. 155 goes right through the freaking city. Yeah. 155 goes straight through Tyler. It's it's the same place. Do and not be fooled. to jog your memory, Mr. Love Astor was found off of 155, which is off of Lake Palestine kind of a heavy it, it it's weird heavy have, traffic well heavy traffic for drugs but it's kind of half crackhead central maybe i shouldn't say that it it's halfway really drug heavy but then you go on to another half of the lake and it's the ritzy area there's houses that are half a million dollars plus and that's that's very very bougie for texas Yes. I know that that would get you like a 400 square foot studio apartment in New York City. Half a million dollars. But for Texas, that's like a six, seven bedroom, like 4,000 square feet. All the bells and whistles. You're going to start a real estate riot in Tyler, Texas. Don't be telling them that. I know. I'm trying to buy a house. Don't tell them we get cheap mansions. And so you just hit the nail on the head again. Once again, I've got to point this out. I have to. It's in my nature. We hear Jane Lindsay's audio talking about an old man. And in this moment, I was very confused. I was like, what old man? Where? Where? Where is this old man? Because we have no context yet. And I was like, what, what old man are we talking about? And so then we go through the whole discovery of his body, Officer McKay checking on him that morning and then coming back. And then they go through the interview with Gene Lindsay in its entirety after all of that. And now the old man thing makes sense. And I was like, that's a really roundabout way of, of doing that. Like, why put that audio at the beginning and just confuse me to then explain it all and play the audio again. Don't do that. I didn't like that. I did have a problem with that. Sometimes I hate having these discussions with you because I'm like, I really like this documentary. And then I get to talking to you and you're like, you know what? Anarchy. I, well, I think I am so detail oriented 
and because you are the true crime aficionado, mm-hmm. you you see the case as a whole and the information as a whole, whereas I'm sitting here nitpicking the documentary. So now, we've got the whole Jay LaVassar story. Okay. We know what's happened there. We've seen Officer McKay's story. Spoke to a few of the other detectives about what happened there. Now, we get told there are three men in jail awaiting trial, and they receive a leg bone in the mail. First off, again, how did that get through jail mail checks? It did it. Officers intercepted it before it can get to Pat. Oh, it did. They did. Yeah. Okay. And then the very next scene of the show after this ad break is it says the family is the first to receive a bone and gets a skull. You, this documentary literally just told us that the guys in jail had a package sent to them with a leg bone. And the very next scene, they legitimately say his family is the first to receive bones it's every time this show has an ad break it gets amnesia i can't with the order of events here it is really causing me to not pay attention to the importance of this actual case i struggled struggled so then we we are brought to october of 1995 chad has now been missing for four years and a new note is with the skull that his mother finds and it's not on a typewriter which i thought was interesting because up until now all the notes have been on typewriter note but this one was not and the note says that the family only paid part so they get a part which fucked up fucked up but also when did they pay a part did we yeah they did they just gloss over that so that's what i was trying to figure out in my research is if they ever paid a ransom and i really couldn't find anything so i don't know if that was just poor planning on the whole melabone agreement but i never once saw or found an instance where they paid them i yeah i had questions about that that the show didn't address so i had a little bit of an issue with that and right after this scene, Patson's interview and reveals that two drug dealers killed a boy and he names Chad Choice. So now we know for a fact that Pat is somehow involved. But watching Chad Choice's mother visit Pat Horn in jail, it hurts. I've been saying that a lot, but that one genuinely hurt. Because as soon as Pat Horn sees Karen, he went from like being this hard ass to going soft real quick he shut down and he kind of had an emotional outburst that was a tough scene to watch the emotional outburst that he had when she was pleading with him was the same emotional outburst that i kind of had finding out somebody close to me had passed away so he was obviously moved when he saw karen and i think that's because he saw a little bit of motherly comfort from her because this is the line that had me sobbing in my living room, 3.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. She says, I treated you like you were my son. Always welcome in my house. Fed you. Prayed for you. And what about Chad? I was like, oh, shit. I think of the people that I have, like, that motherly connection to. Who I look up to them in that sort of way. And probably how Pat Horn 
looked up to Karen. Yeah. And if they had said that to me, it would have it would have floored me. Yeah. So he had that emotional response. And I think it's partially because he finally had to face the music. And he realized this is a person that I've had love for for years upon years. And I did her dirty. And I think that's where that emotional response came from out of Horn. Because towards the end when they were really discussing it, he was obviously trying to disassociate with the situation. Yeah. He put his head down. He wasn't talking. But whenever they pressed, he was backfiring really fast. Like, I literally have a, a big knot in my, a big lump in my throat trying to talk about this. Okay, don't get a lump in your throat. And then the show states that Pat receives a leg bone in his jail cell. Is it the same leg bone? Have we gone to this three times and they've said three different things about it? Or did it only go to Pat? I am so... I was... This documentary hurt me, Alyssa. See? I'm just like vibing. I'm like, yeah, I love... I love uh, Cold Case Files. And you're just dogging it. Well, I'm not... Like, I'm not trying to, but these were the things when I watched that I was so confused about. Because... It made it seem like there were three different instances of leg bones being sent. And I don't think that was the case. I think only one leg bone was sent. This documentary made it very unclear when stuff was happening. And it made the documentary, to me, come off as unreliable. And that's not a good thing when we're talking about real cases. I will take no cold case file slander in this household. Then tell them to do better. It's canceled. Well, I see why. <gasps> Don't you ever. So I'm Alyssa, and that's the tea. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, is that it? Is that all you got, motherfucker? Yeah. We talked earlier about how the former FBI agent claims that Horn did this for notoriety's sake, which we just talked about in our bonus episode with Andrea. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go listen to it. We yeah. talked about this. The last thing that I really wanted to talk about regarding this documentary is that being raised in East Texas, this mindset was kind of instilled into me that death penalty for everybody. And if you were to kill somebody, that you should automatically get the death penalty. And that's kind of how my brain thought for a long while. But after hearing... Karen Choice's ideology around it, it moves me and it makes me reevaluate. I haven't really gone through the emotional evaluation of the death penalty in a while, but she said that nothing's going to bring Chad back. You know, we could go forward with seeking a death penalty with Pat, but nothing's going to bring him back. She's like, if anything, I want him to think about him every day. And I feel like that's where the real penalty is. It's not death. It's living each day with what you did. I was like, that's a heavy topic for you just to throw at the very end of of cold case files. I was not ready for the emotions that would stir and the moral contemplation. So this is my additional research outside of the documentary. Hand it to me. I had a lot to go for this one. Chad's mother. She passed away in 2007 after a battle with cancer. And I'm going to link her obituary in the show notes because I read it. And this woman is the most generous, philanthropic, good-hearted person. We talked about her having that motherly presence. She did. And it was reflective in her obituary. 
And I want other people to read that and see what kind of phenomenal, just loving woman she was. The the show does mention what she started, the ministry called Chad's House, to help people in need of, of all different crisis walks of life. Mm-hmm. And for her to take her experience and make something so genuine out of it, I think speaks volumes for who she was. So I'd be really interested to read her obituary and see. Because I didn't even know she had died. Okay. So let's talk about... Pat Horn and the fuckery. I found some court documents online that illustrated a story of how Horn told another inmate about how Chad's death was the result of a drug deal gone bad, which is not really something that they highlighted, but in court, that's what another inmate testified against Pat Horn with. It was simply a drug deal gone bad, which I have no idea what Chad Choice has to do with a drug deal. So I feel like that's a half-ass excuse. Yeah, that doesn't line up. So, an additional 30 months was added to his sentencing for having black tar heroin in his jail cell in Louisiana. So, not only can you sneak human remains into the Hooskow, but you can also apparently have black tar heroin. Not so fun fact there. So, the last one, and this is probably the part that I found most interesting, is Horn is suspected to be involved in the disappearance of Christine Bird, also of Tyler, Texas. She disappeared on May 27th, 1992. Just 10 months after Chad Choice, I guess. Well, nine months, yeah. Yeah, not even a year. Seven months after Chad Choice's disappearance. Wow. Investigators believe that she knew information about Chad Choice's kidnapping and was killed because of it. Wow. Uh, I'll also link this in our show notes. But the Charlie Project has a lot more information on Miss Bird's disappearance. So I want to provide that to you. The Charlie Project is a really great organization that focuses on missing persons cases. So we'll link that in the show notes for you guys to read and peruse. Lots of articles linked there too that talk a little bit more about Miss Bird's disappearance. The last scene we have of this documentary, a black screen comes up and says that the Supreme Court made it unconstitutional to execute anyone who was under 18 at the time they committed capital murder. And then they give details that Pat was 17 when he killed Chad and can't receive the death penalty. Kind of, I think that it was a good note because we had just heard how Karen didn't really want him to get the death penalty. So it was kind of an after the case, we see that he didn't end up getting the death penalty because of this law. Now, this is my last piece about this documentary. We have this blurb about the law enacted in 2005. If you go to Peacock or you look up this episode on IMDb, this episode is said to have aired in 2004. So I had immediate questions. I was like, wait a minute. Technicalities with you. Well, but it it was supposed to have aired in 2004. And then we have this blurb about a law enacted in 2005. So was it added after the fact? Or was that a mistake? So I go to A&E's website to look up the series. And I discover in going on A&E's website where Cold Case Files originally aired, A&E, the original showrunner, okay. lists this episode as season four, episode one, not episode 25. And they have it listed as airing on December 1st of 2005. However, every other episode in season four airs starting in September 2004 
up through May 2005. But A&E itself lists this episode in season four as episode one. What's the truth? I still don't know. Because they have an episode in season five on the A&E website. I don't know, because they have an episode on the A&E website listed with the same December 1st, 2005 release date, air date, in season five. So, I'm not actually sure when this episode aired. If anyone has conclusive information about that... Let me know. Yeah, let us know. And you can let us know on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok... That'd be a weird place, but you can do it. All Instagram. Of All of them. Email us at crimetv at gmail.com. Everything is spelled T-E-A-B as it always is. Okay. You have five cups of tea to potentially give away to this documentary, this cold case file. By the look of your face, you're not giving many. What can I get from you, Erin? Okay, I want to start by saying this is a very heart-wrenching case. Being from the town that this all happened in... I really resonate with the case and what and the advocacy portion that was brought about in this case. I I think that the final resolution that so many years later this woman was able to get answers for what had happened is a really good use of resources and I applaud all the detectives and things that led up to being able to identify and solve this case for this mother. Now, as far as this show and how the information was presented... Not my cup of tea. One. Can you spare a cup of tea? One cup of tea for the fact that they highlighted the advocacy and the work that Chad Choice's mother Karen did in his memory on his behalf. One cup of tea. I'm going to go three cups of tea. I just feel neutral. My favorite true crime subcategory is solved. Hence the solved part of cold cases. So I just enjoy this type of story. However... With that being said, I do feel like the way that the story is told and the way that they decide to present the series of events, a lot of it was repetitive. Yes. And I feel like we could have highlighted some of the other things that we would have wanted to see had we not had so much repetition. But understand that this is like nighttime television. And so when you go to commercial break, you want that refresher. So I'm given leeway for that. But just uh, neutral. Neutral's Neutral's good. Neutral's good. So, Erin, let's tell the people what's coming up next week. We are going to be covering Natalie Holloway. Specifically, the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. This is another free on Peacock. Six episodes, about 45 minutes each. So, we're going to break this up into a two-part series so that we can discuss every bit of the six-episode documentary with you in detail. We're going to do episodes one through three on July 5th, and then the last three episodes on July 12th. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And and that's that's the tea. tea.